Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The FT. Welcome to this edition of World Weekly, which we devote to the international crisis over Ukraine. Russian troops are in control of Crimea, and the United States is threatening Russia with isolation if it doesn't back down. So how is this dangerous situation likely to develop now? Joining me in the studio is Neil Buckley, our East Europe editor, who reported from Kiev while the revolution in Ukraine was raging. And on the line from Washington is our chief US affairs commentator, Edward Luce. Neil, if I start with you, obviously the situation's moving fast, but one of the big set pieces yesterday as we speak was Vladimir Putin's press conference in the Kremlin. How close are we to knowing what Russia has actually got in mind? I think it's still very difficult to judge exactly what Russia has got in mind. There were some positive signals in that Vladimir Putin seemed to indicate that Russia didn't see a pretext at this stage for going into eastern Ukraine, which would be a very dangerous escalation indeed. But I wouldn't rule that out. I think the way things are likely to develop is that Crimea is due to hold a referendum, which has been brought forward to March the 30th, on some kind of autonomy or independence. There will probably be a vote on independence. That vote in the current circumstances may well pass, and Russia may recognise that independence. Probably the rest of the world will not. But we'll have a situation similar to what happened in Georgia in 2008, when Georgia's two breakaway regions, Abkhazia and South Ossetia, which had already declared independence after the Russia-Georgia war, Russia recognised their independence. And that has been a a lever of influence that uh, Russia's been able to use in Georgia and to make mischief ever since. And, And Russia could use Crimea in the same way in Ukraine. So, Neil, what you're saying is effectively that Vladimir Putin is keeping his options open or that he may already have decided his long term goal. I think he's keeping his options open. He was able to bring forces into Crimea, although he claims, of course, that the men surrounding military installations in Crimea are not Russian troops. He says they're just local volunteers, but I think he's the only person in the world who believes that. But he did that on a flimsy, almost fictitious pretext by saying that the interior ministry in Crimea had been attacked by armed radicals from Kiev. Reporters on the ground, including our own, have found out that that's completely untrue. So he could go into the east of Ukraine on almost any kind of pretext. And we are seeing there today pro-Russian demonstrations in the two biggest cities, Kharkiv and Donetsk. It's possible Russia had some sort of hand in stoking those up and anything like that could be used as a pretext. So I think he's keeping that option very much in reserve. So, Ed, how are the Americans going to play it? I mean, John Kerry's been in Kiev. He's talking quite tough. Do they think they have a realistic prospect of getting Russia to back off and to give Crimea back to the Ukraine or de facto? Do they think that's gone? I think that every effort is being made in Washington by the White House and, of course, by John Kerry on his diplomatic itinerary to find ways to pressure Russia to withdraw from Crimea But I don't think there's very high hopes that these measures are going to succeed. As you know, there are proposals to replace Russian troops in Crimea with international monitors. 
there's a big aid package that the Americans and the EU and the IMF are cobbling together. In Washington, there's talk of targeted sanctions under the Magnitsky law on Russian human rights officials who are deemed guilty by the State Department of Human Rights abuses. There are measures that Obama could impose on targeting Russian banks. There are other measures on Russian arms suppliers to the Syrian regime. So there are all sorts of pressure points that are being considered. But I don't think there's a huge amount of optimism that they're necessarily going to work. And Neil mentioned the press conference Putin gave yesterday. And of course, Angela Merkel of Germany's readout of Putin's state of mind after talking to him on the phone earlier this week. And I think the general perception here is that Putin is not necessarily a rational actor. And, you know, that introduces a whole different level of uncertainty as to what pressure points might or might not work with him. So, Ed, assuming that the pressure doesn't work, John Kerry's talked about isolating Russia are we moving towards a kind of new Cold War, or at least a complete breakdown in the frosty but correct Russian-US relationship that we've got used to over the last decade or so? I think there's a very real danger of that. I mean, one of the most interesting things here is how little emphasis the Americans are putting on action and resolutions through the United Nations, because, of course, Russia is a permanent member of the UN Security Council and would veto anything. But there's absolutely no... Um, confidence China would play ball. So isolating Russia, if that doesn't include two members of the five-member Security Council, that isn't really very isolating. The Russians, of course, are also still desperately needed. Their cooperation is still desperately needed in Syria over the chemical weapons dismantling. Of course, with the Iran nuclear negotiations in Vienna, with the northern transit supply routes in Afghanistan, where American troops are still on the ground. So talk of cutting off all ties with Russia and isolating it, uh, you know, I, I think very much on the fringes at the moment of the American political conversation, that's not yet being accepted as, as reality. A new Cold War is not something, even the hawkish sort of elements in Washington are necessarily saying is an inevitability which I guess must be some sort of comfort to the Kremlin. I guess that is what they're calculating, isn't it, Neil, that although the West will get very cross about all this, there is such an interlocking mutual interest, whether they be strategic, economic, the kinds of things Ed's talking about, that there is a limit to how far will be prepared to wield the big stick with, with the Kremlin. I think that's very much part of their calculation. And I think Angela Merkel's characterization of Vladimir Putin, if she did indeed say that, that he somehow lives in a, a parallel universe, I don't think that he's not a rational actor. I think he is a rational actor. I'm not sure that his perception of events and the information he is being given by his security services and advisors are the same as ours. But I think fundamentally he's rational. And I think there's a difference between the supposed pretext for intervention in Ukraine, which is to protect the Russian-speaking and ethnic Russian population from, quote, fascists and neo-Nazis from Kiev, which is an entirely false pretext because the Russian population isn't in danger from the new government, which is not led by fascists and neo-Nazis. So that's false. But the 
secondary and more important semi-hidden pretext is to stop Ukraine's closer integration with the European Union. That is really what this is all about. As the Georgia war was about preventing Georgia integrating into NATO over the, over time, Vladimir Putin has decided, I think, that there's another red line is Ukraine getting closer to the EU. And by taking uh, control of Crimea, in effect, then that can be used to complicate Ukraine's relations with Europe. I do think there are other levers, though, that can be used against Russia. I think economic pressure could be brought to bear, despite the fact that it's, it's difficult to isolate Russia completely. Nonetheless, there are economic levers that could that could hit the Russian economy, and that is a point of weakness. Russian growth is slowing very sharply. The country desperately needs investment, and investment flows if they start to slow as a result of what happens, even not through formal activities, but just because Western businesses decide they don't want to invest in that kind of country. That could, over time, do some damage to Russia. Now, Ed, obviously, one of the reasons, perhaps the main reason everybody is so concerned about this is that in the background, these are two nuclear powers that are facing off Russia and the United States. What are the Americans saying about the possibility of there actually being a military clash. Is there any discussion in the United States of a military response? There is some on the fringes from from familiar hawkish figures, but it's surprising the the degree to which the Republican Party is not urging a military response to this. People do recall the Georgia episode in 2008 when George W. Bush was still in office, and they recall the fact that in spite of knowing that the Russians were essentially invading Georgia and threatening to occupy Georgia proper, that the Bush administration, with the notable exception of Dick Cheney, unanimously rejected a military response and unanimously rejected John McCain, the then Republican presidential candidate, advice to give Georgia instant membership of NATO and therefore a mutual defense treaty. So, you know, I think that's very much at the forefront of people's minds, that a military response to this is not practical. There's discussion of military aid to the Ukrainian government. There is discussion of reinstating the missile defense system in Poland that President Obama scrapped in 2009. And there's discussion of shoring up the guarantees to of the Eastern European countries that are bordering Ukraine. But debate about a direct military response is, is notable by its absence. And Neil, I mean, we talk about the Western response, and yet there's always concern about splits opening up between Washington and and the European powers, particularly the Germans who tend to be a bit more wary of confrontational stances, whether it's in the Middle East or indeed with Russia. What are we seeing there? I mean, are divisions emerging? I think there are some divisions, but I think the Europeans get annoyed when they're portrayed by the US as being soft because Europe does have much greater economic and more direct economic links and economic reliance on Russia than the US does, particularly with the energy relationship. Russia is the biggest supplier of not just natural gas, but oil and coal to the European Union. And so there is a feeling that the EU therefore has to perhaps take a somewhat different stance from the US. But they see this as partly as a kind of good cop, bad cop partnership where the US is able to play the bad cop and the EU, it forces them to play a little bit more the good cop. And they get angry when that relationship is maligned in any way. But I think there is a, a very strong sense of anger within the EU about what Russia has done. And we may well see some sort of sanctions being agreed upon and by the EU as well. 
Okay, well, we're coming to the close. And I think one aspect of this crisis has been how incredibly unpredictable it's been from the downfall of Yanukovych to the Russian response. So I'm going to ask you both to do something which is possibly a little bit hazardous. But I'd just like to know how you think this is going to roll forward in the next week or so. And even if you can't be precise on how it's going to happen, what are the things we should be looking out for? Ed in Washington first. I think that John Kerry is going to be continue to lead the, the Obama administration's attempts to rally and uh, to stiffen uh, European resolve in America's eyes at any rate. But I think, you know, to be even more hazardous in my prediction, I would imagine that de facto the Russians are going to get Crimea. The Americans won't be able to do much about it. There will be some sanctions, but it won't isolate Russia. And facts on the ground will lead. I don't think the Americans are going to succeed in rolling this back if Putin doesn't want to be rolled back. Neil? I would very much agree with Ed on that. I'm reluctant to make any kind of predictions, actually, because I think the situation is is, is so fast-moving, so difficult to read. All I would say is that I hope Russia does not go into eastern Ukraine because I think that will be an entirely different situation from what's happened in Crimea, an extremely dangerous situation and a major escalation. So I hope that won't happen. But I do think probably de facto Russia has now got Crimea. It may even withdraw its troops back to their bases, having made their point. But we now have this referendum coming up on March the 30th, and that could result in a Crimean independence vote. Neil Buckley here in London. Thank you very much. And thanks also to Ed Luce in Washington. That's it for this week. Until next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts.